You know, when we're able to gather together as a church, there is a hymn that we sing that goes, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Have you ever stopped to think, what does that mean? What does it mean that God is holy? Well, I want to take some time this morning and explore that. I want to explore the holiness of God together. And as we enter into our passage this morning, Isaiah chapter 6, beginning with verse 1, at the beginning of this verse, it reminds me of the classic novel written by Charles Dickens, A Christmas Carol. Because if you remember, this Christmas Carol begins with, Marley was dead to begin with. And that's how our passage begins with a death, the death of a king. And it says, in the year of King Uzziah's death. That's where we start in our passage. And you know, if you've studied the kings that are in the Bible, you know that there were good kings in Israel and then there were bad kings in Israel. And you know, Uzziah, he was a good king, or at least that's how he started out. And it's interesting that King Uzziah began his reign at the early age of age 16, and he ruled for 52 years. And the scriptures say that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And as long as he sought the Lord, the Lord blessed him. And King Uzziah was one of those kings that was wise. He, he had great military wisdom, and he built armies and was able to conquer the enemies of Israel. And he also dug cisterns out in the wilderness so that he could irrigate the desert land. And under his reign, he developed a flourishing economy, and Israel flourished. And God made him a prosperous king, and his fame spread throughout the ancient world. But you know, something sad happened, and it's found in 2 Chronicles chapter 26, verse 16 says, But when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. And you know, in his pride, he overstepped his bounds. He forgot who he was, and he went where he should not have gone, into the temple to burn incense, a place where only the priests were allowed to go and do something that only the priests were allowed to do. And he overstepped his bounds, and God disciplined him by striking him with leprosy. And the sad thing about it is, Uzziah had to live alone for the rest of his life. And in our passage, King Uzziah is dead to begin with. And the nation of Israel is mourning. And in the midst of national uncertainty, Isaiah has a vision. And he says, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Now, the earthly king of Israel was dead, but Isaiah said, I saw the Lord. I saw the king, and I believe that the king that Isaiah saw was actually a Christophany, an Old Testament vision of Jesus. And this king that he saw he was not pacing back and forth. He was not biting his nails. He was not worried. He was not afraid. No, he was firmly established, sitting on his throne, majestically ruling, high and lifted up. And in verse 2, we read, Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two, he covered his face, and with two, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew. And you know, the word seraphim literally means fiery ones. And I have never personally seen a seraphim, but some believe that seraphim may have actually been 
fiery angelic beings in appearance. Others believe that it could mean that they were fiery inside, that they, they had a holy, fiery zeal to serve the Lord. And you know, I believe that if we were to be able to see true seraphim today, that we would be filled with fear, we would be filled with awe, and we might even be tempted to fall down before them and begin worshiping them because of their beauty and because of their grandeur. And yet, when they are in the presence of Yahweh, the Holy God, they are aware that they are inferior. And so, out of honor, out of respect, they cover themselves from head to toe with their wings, and they, they are not even able to look in the face of God because of His holiness and because of His glory. And you know, this reminds me of Moses. The Word of God says that Moses was one of the most humble men to ever walk on the face of the earth. And one of the things that I love about Moses is his passion for God, his desire to see the glory of God. And in Exodus 33, when, when Moses was up on the mount with uh, God on Mount Sinai, Moses is talking with the Lord and he says, please let me see your glory. In other words, please let me see your face. I want to know you. And God basically says to him, you know, I'm going to make all my goodness pass before you, but you can't see my face. No one can see my face and live. And so what does God do? He takes Moses, he puts him in the cleft of the rock, and he puts his hand over him as he passes by, and he lets Moses see the backside of his glory. And I'm not exactly sure what the backside of God's glory looks like, but what we do know is that it was so glorious, it caused Moses' face to shine with the glory and the holiness of God. And so when he came down from the mountain and the Israelites saw him, they were terrified. So he had to cover his face with a cloth as the glory of God on his face began to fade. And the point here that I want to make is that the holiness of God is so great that we are not allowed to even look upon his face. And even the seraphim, they are pure, they're holy, they're sinless. They are not able to look directly into the face of God. They must cover themselves with their wings. And as they cover themselves, they cry out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, and the earth is filled with His glory. And you know, when we're writing in English, when we want to emphasize something, we have several ways that we can do this. We can uh, italicize it, we can put it in bold, we can underline it, we can put it in quotations, we can even put an exclamation point at the end of it. And you know, the Jews, they had a way of emphasizing things and it was through the use of repetition. If they wanted to bring attention to something, if they wanted uh, you to see that this is important, they would repeat it twice. And Jesus uh, did this a lot of times when he was walking on earth with his disciples. He would say things like, truly, truly, I say to you, or verily, verily, I say to you. Basically what he was doing is he was pointing at what he was about to say and, and he was saying, now hear this, you need to pay attention to this. And only in the rarest circumstances in scripture do you see the writers elevate something to the third degree. And there is only one attribute of God that they do this to. And it is not love, love, love. It's not mercy, 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 or grace, 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 or even wrath, wrath, wrath. 
Rather, it is holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The point that God is making is that he is first and foremost holy. And you know, humanly speaking, Isaiah was one of the most righteous men to walk in his day. And yet when he stood before the Lord and as he saw the seraphim crying out, holy, 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 he doesn't stand up and join in and say, amen, holy, 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 Lord, you're so beautiful. He doesn't fall down and, and worship and sing praises to God. No, that's not, that's not what he does. Instead, he cries out, woe is me, for I am ruined or I am undone. I am coming apart or unglued or unraveling at the seams as I stand before a holy God. And you know, the word woe is one of those archaic words that we don't use anymore. It's like the word in the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be your name or holy be your name. And in Israel, they had priests and they had prophets. And the role of the priest was to go to God and speak on behalf of the people. But the prophet he was to go to the people and speak on behalf of God. And so when a prophet would come to town, the people would hold their breath because they didn't know what kind of oracle this prophet was going to bring to them. Was it going to be an oracle of blessing or was it going to be an oracle of woe? And uh, this is what Jesus did when he came from heaven. He was the prophet sent by God to speak to us. And when he came, he brought both oracles of blessing and oracles of woe. And these can be found uh, all throughout his teachings. And one of the best examples is found in the Sermon on the Mount. He said things like, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. But he also spoke words of or oracles of woe. Woe to you who are full now. Woe to you who laugh now because you will mourn. Woe to you when all men speak well of you because this is how your fathers treated the false prophets. And you know, in his book uh, by R.C. Sproul, The Holiness of God, and if you want to grow in your understanding of the holiness of God, I highly recommend this book. This is a resource that I actually used as I was preparing for this message. But in his book, R.C. Sproul states, that on the lips of a prophet, the word woe is an announcement of doom. In the Bible, cities are doomed, nations are doomed, individuals are doomed, all by uttering the oracle of woe. And when Isaiah beholds the Lord, he encounters his holiness and his holiness teaches him two things. Number one, God's holiness teaches him that God is infinitely set apart from his creation. This is what Pastor Terry preached about last week, basically, when he was talking about that God is God. And you know, the, the word holy means to separate, to cut something in two so that, that you have a separation between the two. This is where we get the phrase, a cut above the rest. And have you ever been around someone that is a cut above you, someone that is holier than you? I mean, literally they are. Well, there was a time that me and Kelly had the opportunity to meet a nationally well-known worship leader. He, was, um, he played the piano, he sang, and he was clearly a cut well above me. I was not 
even in the ballpark with him. And as we were talking, Kelly looked at him and he said, hey, did you know that my husband plays the piano and he sings? And I can remember thinking, no, 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 no. I don't play the piano. I don't sing. I, I shrank back from him. Why? Because I understood that he was a cut well above me. I understood his holiness. And I knew that because of his holiness, my deficiencies, I was feeling my deficiencies before him. And I believe that that is similar to what Isaiah was feeling, except he was feeling it in an infinite way. The holiness of God had shown him that God is not like us. And so the first thing that the holiness of God taught Isaiah is that God is separated from his creation. And secondly, he experienced God's moral perfection, that God is sinless, that he is perfect, that he is pure, that he is flawless and that he judges and punishes sin righteously. And so when Isaiah experienced God's holiness, he began to understand who God is, and in an instant, he realized who he was, a sinner in the presence of a holy God. And you know, the first oracle of woe that Isaiah ever pronounced was not on a city, it was not on a nation, it was not on an individual but it was on his own head. Woe is me, cursed is me, I am undone. And you know, every time that men and women come in contact with the holiness of God, they truly have an experience of God's holiness, it is always a universal response. And if you've ever read the book of Job, you know what I'm talking about. And in chapters 38 through 42, and if, again, if you're wanting to uh, go to sections of the Bible that clearly show the holiness of God. I encourage you to go to these passages here because God begins to show Job through his creation, his holiness. And what does Job do whenever he realizes the holiness of God? He says, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. And you know, there's another account where Jesus, he's with Peter in a boat. And he tells Peter to take his nets and throw them out and to begin fishing. And what does Peter say? He says, well, Lord, we, we fished all night. And that's when you catch fish. But we didn't catch anything. And it's broad daylight, basically, he was saying. We're not going to catch anything. But because you tell me to do it, I'm going to do it. And so what does he do? He throws the nets into the sea. And after he obeys, the, the nets get filled with fish that they, so much that they begin to burst and they bring them into the boat. The boat begins to sink. They bring another boat out, and it begins to sink because of the great catch. And when Peter sees what, God, what Jesus did, what does he do? It says that he fell at his knees, and he doesn't go, I will follow you. No, basically what, Jesus, uh, what Peter says to Jesus is this, depart from me. Why? Because I'm a sinful man. He came in contact with the holiness of, of Jesus, who is God. And you know, the holiness of God is sobering and it's unsettling to unholy people because it cuts straight through the mirage. It wakes us up, it brings us back into reality and shows us who we are, that we are dust, we are a vapor, that we are not demigods, but that we are finite creatures. And you know, Isaiah's experience was extremely traumatic for him. And that's why he cried out, woe is me, 
I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips. I believe that he is making reference to his heart that was impure, that caused his lips to be impure. And I live among a people of unclean lips. And as Isaiah becomes aware of God's holiness, he becomes aware of his sinfulness and that he is doomed, that he cannot save himself. And this is where the good news comes in because God did for Isaiah what Isaiah could not do for himself. It says in verse 6, Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips and your iniquity is taken away from you and your sin is forgiven. God did for Isaiah what Isaiah could not do for himself. He purified him of his sins. And I don't know if you've ever seen the Bible Project, but they are a group of people that make animated videos that teach us how to study the Word of God. And they have, they've made a video on the holiness of God. I will put a link in the, in the uh, comments below so you can watch the entire video if you get a chance to. But in this video, they make the point that normally when an Israelite touched something that was impure, it made them unholy. But when the coal in Isaiah 6 touched the lips of Isaiah, it actually transferred its purity to him. And instead of being destroyed by God's holiness, he is actually transformed by it. And you know this coal in, in Isaiah's vision is actually a picture of Jesus. How the king would actually leave his throne in heaven and that he would come to earth and become a man and empty himself. And that when he died, he would be like that coal which would purify us from our sin. He would make our impure lips pure. And so Jesus, he is the fulfillment of the vision. And as he lived among us, he went about touching impure people, people like lepers, paralytics, a woman with a chronic bleeding disorder, and even the dead. And you know, his purity cleanses and transforms everyone he touches. And you know, the good news is that when Jesus purifies us of our sins, that we become eager and willing servants. We want to go. We want to be his representatives. We want to live for God. We want to show the world his holiness. And look what Isaiah does when he is forgiven. Verse 8 says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and, and who will go for us? Then I said, here am I, send me. Do you see Isaiah's position now? Earlier, he was groveling in his sin in the, in the presence of the holy God. And now he is standing before the Lord, eager to serve him. Why? Because he had come in contact with the holy God and had been forgiven of his sins and made pure. And that's what it's like in the lives of anyone who experiences a holy God and the forgiveness that comes through the work of Jesus on the cross. And you know, this is a pattern that is in the scripture. And it's all also a pattern that we see in the history of mankind. There is a holy God who is willing to forgive sin and transform repentant sinners and make them willing and fruitful sons and daughters. And you know, King Uzziah and Isaiah are great examples for us to look at. What happened to King Uzziah? He forgot who God is. 
He forgot how holy God is, and therefore he forgot who he was. And he became arrogant, and God had to discipline him. Isaiah, on the other hand, saw the holiness of God, and he responded to it. And what did God do? He forgave him of his sin. And that's what he wants to do for anyone who will respond to him, anyone who will receive what Christ has done for us on the cross when he died to pay the penalty for our sins. And so as individuals and as a church, we need to be a people who allow the holiness of God to continue to penetrate our hearts. Because when we do, number one, we will remember who he is. Number two, we will remember who we are and that we need a savior, that we are dependent upon God. And as we cry out to him, he will continue to show us his love through Christ Jesus. And we will be a holy people. And as we give up our lives, as we lay our lives down, we actually will gain them. As we come to know the fullness of our God, the fullness of our Holy Father who loves us. And now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, May He equip you to do His will this week, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.